0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, June 27th edition of our little weather get-together. Thank you for joining us tonight. It's been a uh, definitely a stormy week uh, throughout the Carolinas and the southeast, and we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. But before we do that, uh, tonight's topic, we have the siren project on with us. We have Nolan Lunsford, uh, Brent Boothealer, Boot and Warren Causey on from uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, This is a group of guys who uh, is really doing a unique thing. They're storm chasing uh, with drones. And so we're uh, very happy to have those guys on with us tonight. They're going to kind of give us a a back history of uh, their project, what they're doing, and uh, we'll even get to see some footage of uh, some of their storm chases. So I'm very happy to have Nolan and Brent and Warren on with us tonight. So uh, if you are watching this broadcast, uh, it is live so you can interact with us. Uh, Do that um, one of many different ways. We are uh, streaming on Facebook Live and Periscope, also on our YouTube page. And if you're listening to the podcast or watching the broadcast, uh, maybe a couple weeks from now, we'll let our guests at the end of the show um, share out their social media accounts. That way, if you have any questions for them, you can uh, direct uh, them directly to them so again this is show number 238 with the sirens project uh, a group of uh, storm chasers based out of atlanta georgia uh, very happy to have them on so uh, before we do that it has been a very active week here in the southeast so uh, i am going to toss it to first where we actually have some uh, uh severe weather going on jared smith you're in charles tonight tonight and Jared. Uh, you guys are watching a, a, a line of thunderstorms moving out of the uh, Midlands of South Carolina towards you guys on the uh, coastal area.
1: We sure are, Scotty. I'm going to set this into motion. I've got my, uh, get my radar up. Looks like everybody's presented. All right. Very good. So uh, pretty active last few days. And uh, we have some pretty slow moving thunderstorms over Charleston proper right now. You can see this uh, outflow sea breeze boundary moving north. That's going to intersect with these storms uh, dropping in out of Augusta. And uh, the Midlands here in the central Savannah River area. Um, pretty soon, looks like ground zero is going to be roughly just north of Goose Creek. So, could see a brief uptick in, intensi- um, in intensity here, maybe some thund- severe thunderstorm warnings for uh, downburst winds. Now, another thing that we're dealing with as we come closer to home, we have a nice little uh, cell. This is a really photogenic little guy. Um, <clears throat> if you, um, if you, Take a look at the hashtag CHSWX. You're going to see a lot of great cloud pictures. So this in motion emotion here. This one's producing a decent bit of lightning. Looks like it's calming down a little bit now, but we've got some heavy rain right over downtown Charleston and high tides coming up in about 10, 15 minutes. So uh, there is the potential for some flooding uh, in downtown Charleston. Um, tides not too terribly high, but um, that is something that we're going to need everybody there to keep an eye on uh, as the evening progresses. Otherwise we've been, uh, we've been pretty hot uh we have uh we we got a break yesterday but uh, i mean you know <laughs> a break being 90 degrees and so uh back to uh, 94 today and we're going to have probably another heat advisory or two tomorrow and then the criteria for heat advisories goes up to 110 but that doesn't mean that it's still not dangerous uh so it goes up to 110 on July 1st so pretty a uh, pretty decent he- heat wave going on and um when you get that and you get just a little uh, little weakness aloft, you get
2: storms. Back to you, Scotty. And Scotty's on
0: mute.
3: Scotty, are you new I,
0: here? I am new, very new. I was reading your little thing here on the side. I was going to say, if you are watching tonight, uh, we do have the radar and uh, severe uh, watches and warnings uh, on our left-hand side of the screen so you can follow those as uh, you watch the program tonight. And another place, uh, since James was talking, another place has seen some severe weather is the uh, Charlotte metro area. And so, James, I know you guys had uh, a brush with a few uh, severe storms this week as well.
1: Yeah, that's right, Scotty. We had some hail move through yesterday. About dime-sized here in South Charlotte came out of a storm that really kind of came up fairly quickly. And, uh, if I don't get to it now, I will have some pictures I can share, um, a little bit later on in the show, but, uh, we got uh, several rounds of severe weather and, uh, yet again, our power went out, uh, the other day. You may remember me talking about that a couple of weeks ago. Well, it happened again. Uh, we were out for several hours here and ended up spending the night at my mother's place down the road because they had lights and air conditioning because, uh, you know it starts getting a little muggy those thunderstorms cool things off scotty but it started getting pretty warm pretty quickly once again
0: yeah and at least like the pattern starting to change where those storm chances are going to be decreasing throughout the next few days and the heat on the increase uh looks like another heat wave uh, about to build in here to the carolinas so uh let's see i was looking at ashley so ashley are you good can you give us a report from uh, your area
3: Yeah, definitely. For some reason, my internet's being slow tonight, so hopefully I don't cut out or anything. But I just want to be super jealous because you guys have been getting storms like for the past week or two. I've got nothing, just sun. Um, And I was going to complain about our heat index. It's in the the triple digits, but it's on the low end, 101, 102. But you guys just said 110. So I'm not going to complain about heat index either. So all we've got is sun, sun, sun. And we're looking at 4th of July next week where we might get a shower, which could be a concern for our festivities for the city, but I'll be monitoring until then. I guess I'll just keep sweating back to you,
0: Ashley. We will happily switch weather with you. Uh, you can have these <laughs> severe storms and all this triple digit heat indexes with, that we have here in the Southeast. So thank you for that, Ashley. So um, here in the Western Carolinas. Uh, I can just kind of uh, tell you what James said. We've had uh, numerous days of storms. Each day, uh, portions of the area has been under severe thunderstorm watches and severe thunderstorm warnings. Uh, Fascinating enough, we had over 100 uh, damage and wind reports on Monday from a a severe line of storms that moved through uh, wind 60, 70, uh, even in some cases 80 miles per hour in some locations. So a lot of tree damage, a lot of power outages. Uh, Thankfully, though, uh, we should be be clearing out to more of those uh, just isolated storms here in the Western Carolinas. As we go towards the weekend, so before we get to our uh, our guest, I do want to bring Shay in because Shay, as always, monitors the tropics. And uh, Shay, it looks like uh, it's still quiet out there, but uh, we're in the midst of, of getting the hurricane season cranked up, so it's something we got to watch.
2: That is right, Scotty. Let me uh, present to everyone the screen I'm looking at. Let me know when you can see it. I think I think it's viewable by now. Uh, so this is the uh, two day graphical. Uh, tropical weather outlook from the NHC as of 7:16 6, p.m. Nothing uh, to be expected in the next 48 hours. Yesterday we had a little blip off of the North Carolina coast, so a little area of low pressure that that was uh, eh, had a very low chance of spinning up, but it it did look like it could move into a more conducive environment over the next couple of days, but it doesn't look like anything now. And then, so I think that's going to be the trend along the coast of the United States, especially the Southeast region where we have these undulating fronts that sort of drop into the region, they slowly fizzle away, but with high pressures building to the north or any kind of Atlantic high to the north gives a little top spin to any areas of low pressure that develop and then with our very warm waters which I'll show you right now this is our data scope product you can see how warm the waters are over here in the Atlantic very cool out here off of the African coast this is called the main development region this is equatorial Atlantic basin where we see a lot of tropical cyclone activity originate usually a little bit later in the summer uh, this this area will become more active. For right now, it is cooler than normal. It's about a degree and a half cooler than normal. In fact, Philip Klotzbach put a, um, a tweet about this, about 1.5 degrees Celsius colder than they were at this time last year. So we are now expecting a much less active Atlantic hurricane season, especially with an El Nino watch uh, for the equatorial Pacific. That means we have a little bit less activity over our area. But back over to, to – the coast of the United States, immediately in the Gulf of Mexico, we see how warm these waters are, especially the shelf waters off the Carolina coast. We're at about 85 to 86 degrees of our waters, which the Gulf Stream out here is usually the warmer body by 85, 86 degrees. We're almost even with that, especially with our heat wave we've had for the last week and a half. The Gulf of Mexico, even warmer than that. I mean, we may be looking at uh, low 90s in the Tampa Bay area as this water just is just hot. So all of these areas, something to be watched for. these fronts drop down into the uh, southeast region, maybe down into parts of Florida. And we have to watch these tailwinds of these fronts and any little areas, of low pressure that spin up. So homegrown systems is kind of going to be the key phrase here uh, for the next month or so for at least the, the foreseeable future in the next few weeks, as far as tropical uh, activity goes. But other than that, yeah, Jared nailed it on the head with our heat wave. We're finally getting some breaks with some rain. I tell you what, it was a, it was a long stretch there. We had some, uh, I think we topped out what Jared was our highest one, about 116 degrees or the heat index.
1: Yeah, it was pretty close to there. Um, we, uh, we didn't reach excessive heat criteria on Sunday. We were thinking, so uh, there was a, there was some concern that there was going to be the first excessive heat warning, which is 115 or higher for two hours um, since 2012 um, on Sunday. That didn't come to pass, um, but it did surge briefly to around 114, 115 then, but fortunately not for
2: two hours. Right, and just a reminder, as of July 1st the National Weather Service Charleston and other offices, Going to be raising that criteria to 110 degrees for a heat advisory in general, so uh, we won't be seeing that 105 degree heat indice to trigger an advisory. It'll be five degrees warmer before they do that, uh, because we're we're just I think we're having more events. They don't want to keep issuing so many advisories, or maybe they just changed the criteria to um, uh, a safer sort of advisory to go out. But other than that, Scotty, I think we're good to go on the tropics. Nothing. Nothing going on. The uh, Eastern Pacific is a little bit active. Uh, there's a few systems being watched over there, but no land uh, to be concerned about. No landfall, uh, no landfalling systems or anything, other concerns in that area. So back to you,
0: Scotty. All right, say thank you for that report, the tropics report. So let's bring in our guest tonight. Uh, this is called the Sirens Project. We have Nolan and Brent and Warren with us. Um, they are uh, based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And guys, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, happy to have you.
4: Yeah, thank you. We're excited.
0: Uh, We're glad to have you. So uh, since you are a first-time guest, a lot of uh, our viewers right now probably know this first question I'm going to ask you. But uh, we always ask it to our our guests is what really – how did you catch the weather bug? What got you interested in in weather and doing what you guys are doing?
4: Uh, Well, I know for me it started at a pretty early age uh, when Hurricane Opal came through the panhandle of Florida and I was still living in the Kennesaw area. And uh, I just remember my dad uh, picking me up and taking me to the back, you know, the back porch and watching all the, uh, the trees and stuff like that, just bending over to the power of the wind. And we lost every single breath of pear tree at our house. Um, and it was just kind of crazy. And then uh, the movie twister came out, you know, and that kind of sparked a lot of uh, people in our generation, uh, to, you know, to be interested in weather, but that's kind of where everything originated for me. It was just a, uh, you know powerful weather been when I was young and then um, you know being exposed to the movie twister at a young age just kind of always been into weather and uh, every time a storm would come by I always go outside and look at it and stuff like that you know just kind of a like crazy kid in the neighborhood ride his bike the top of the hill to see chemo's clouds <laughs> uh, but yeah that, I mean that, that's basically where it started it just grew from there and when I got my driver's license you know just kind of did local chases in my mom's car popped a couple of tires you know, just did your normal thing. Um and uh yeah, that's where it started for me. Uh it's probably a little bit different for Brent and Nolan. Um they kind of <laughs> I guess I'm kinda responsible for that, but uh, I can let them explain a little bit, I guess, how, how they came to be.
5: Yeah, so uh I'm Nolan Lunsford. Um and uh we are uh I guess not me and Brent aren't aren't quite into weather as much as Warren. Um but now we are. <laughs> Uh, I met Brent when like second grade and we got into RC stuff together and always messed with that growing up. Um, It's been a big hobby of ours pretty much all our lives and then in college uh, in engineering school I ran into Warren and met him in one of my classes and he got to talking about uh, his passion for weather and um, I'm not sure who had the idea of trying to deliver a sensor package on you know, an unmanned aircraft. Um, it's probably Warren, because I don't think I would have thought that was a good idea. But uh, after talking with him, he kind of convinced me, you know, that uh, there is some stable air streams and stuff that run into the supercells that if we could get into, you know, uh, we would actually have pretty stable flight. And so uh, we've been testing that theory, and I, I think we have uh, some proof of concept. But, um, but yeah, so me and Brent, really just in the past few years, have started to learn more about what uh influences weather and um and more more of the science behind weather, where before we were more just the uh the drone guys so
6: yeah and uh I'm you know I think Nolan covered how I got into weather as well uh I've learned more about it um going through my private pilot um like schooling, um, trying to get my private pilot's license, um, and so I've definitely had to focus a little bit more about you know the science of weather and all that stuff um, within that school. But really, I you know I started you know in with the siren project way before that. Uh, so really, Warren is the one that brought us all <laughs> to even you know, realize that weather was happening around us. Really, whether that's a good thing or not, I guess right. <laughs>
0: I was going to say, there you go, Warren, uh, no pressure there. <laughs> um, so talk to us about, uh, I know all of us here on the panel, uh, we're familiar with what you guys do, uh, but talk to our guests and our viewers and listeners right now about what the sirens project is and, uh, w- what, what's your goals are for, uh, for this.
4: Uh, basically we're trying to understand a little bit more about, uh, tornadic supercells. You know, there's, the uh, the age old question in a tornadic meteorology, I guess you could say, where, what why do why does one supercell produce a tornado and another one doesn't? You know, they can be separated by only like thirty miles or so in the same general weather system that's producing, uh, you know, the severe weather. But one supercell will go on to produce a violent tornado, while one doesn't. Both get warned, um, you know, but how, how do we differentiate between why one is producing a tornado and why one's not? And so that's kind of Our goal is to help see into uh, those parameters that that are responsible for tornado genesis. And so uh, basically we started out just trying to get uh, UAVs into the inflow jet of the supercell, as Nolan was talking about a little bit earlier. And uh, that proves to be a a pretty viable entrance to the uh, area of circulation. Uh, All the air is moving pretty much in the same direction. And so as long as we can fight the headwind. And get into the inflow we have a pretty straight shot and uh, recently which is kind of a new development for us this past year we've uh, made contact with a a guy named Trevor white Uh, he's located in Boulder Colorado works for the center of severe weather research and uh, so we're working with him on getting data sets in the inflow region he's kind of more interested in the data gaps that they have in the inflow region uh, versus the actual tornado itself, and they're responsible if, if you're not familiar with the centers if you do the really research they're the ones that uh, have the dow trucks and they uh, get close to tornadoes and sample uh, supercells using the radar. and so that's just kind of kind of our goal is to help fill in some of those data gaps, those hard to reach areas um, in hopes of you know better forecasting tornadoes
0: and, and so maybe a question I should ask you before that. Uh, you guys being based out of Atlanta, going to Kennesaw State. Uh, obviously, Atlanta is not known for major tornadoes and, and things like that. What what made you catch the tornado bug, and maybe instead of uh, doing tropical weather or something like that, that that you're closer, uh, maybe that affects you closer to where you guys live?
4: Uh, for me, uh, not you know, I'm gonna talk talk about Hurricane Oval. We also had a EF four, I believe. Touchdown here, in 98, I think, uh, in the Cobb County area, and that crossed just a couple of miles uh, south on uh, across I-75 um, from where I lived in Kennesaw. And uh, my dad took me out to see that damage path, or across the interstate, you know, several several days later. And just I, I think uh, I think seeing what what the tornado did versus what the hurricane did. Uh, at a young age, it just seemed a lot more powerful to me and a lot more interesting in my little in my little mind at the time. Um, so that that's really you know that's really what kind of sparked the the tornado the tornado bug for me. Well, and a lot of it
6: is uh, if you're from Georgia, you'd realize that the terrain is not conducive to um, really photo like the yeah. photogenic tornadoes or anything like that, or even like from from my perspective being a pilot like. This is a miserable place to try to fly uh fixed wing aircraft that are doing, you know, a pretty reasonable speed because it's all mountains and pine trees. And uh, if you go down anywhere, you're going to be, you know, 60 feet up in a pine tree. So it was like uh, kind of unretrievable data for us. If we, Even if we were to measure something here, we'd probably never, you know, see the drone again. <laughs> so
0: right and, and so nolan you and you and Brant, uh you guys were talking about you you really didn't have the weather bug until uh, you got involved with this with Warren, but uh you're more in like to the aviation and, and the technology and stuff, so talk to us a little bit about how drones uh how how you know they haven't really been used in this storm chasing until recently. Talk about how the technology or or how drones help you guys do uh, do this investigation
5: so um I guess it wasn't until pretty recently that, you know, we had little RC planes with autopilots and GPS tracking, giving us data back over the air. Um, So a a lot of people, when they first find this out, they're like, aren't you going to lose the drone? Yeah, that's the plan. Uh, So the the whole thing is, you know, it's sending back data live as it's flying. So um, even if we don't find it, um, we still have the data. But the onboard data, it can, it can record a lot faster than it can send it over a long range uh, wireless signal. So that's better. And then also the video feed is a lot better if you have the onboard card that was recording instead of you know a wireless signal once again. So we have um, almost 10 miles of range for both the data and video links. They're just not as high quality as what's stored on board. So that's like pretty new stuff that, um, you know, just a few years ago, you wouldn't be able to do at all. Not um, on um, our budget.
4: Anyway. <laughs> yeah.
5: So, um, so that's like I, I don't know. It's it's pretty exciting. Um, even just in, since we started this, things have changed dramatically. You know, um, I remember we did a Kickstarter and we raised quite a bit of money to buy what was top of the line at the time, and then like two years later, it's kind of there's there's just way better stuff out there now for even less. And it's like man like i can't believe um how fast this develops so we've actually even changed airframes and everything based on how much the technology has advanced um so the little plane right behind brent's head it's what a three foot four foot wingspan it's like 27 feet. yeah so uh yeah okay. that's pretty small where before we were flying a i guess it was five foot yeah so that's more a lot smaller It was five foot or six foot wingspan, delta wing, um, which was great. It's just big and harder to get off the ground um, where that little uh, Strix behind there will just, it's so easy. You can hand launch it and um, it fits all the same technology and and meets all of our needs speed wise and stability wise. Um, So it's just been, it's been really neat to watch this stuff develop and watch how, uh, our, our collection has actually become easier since we've started and everything's gotten smaller like technology does so
2: Now I have a question you you guys were talking about I'm up put this image back up here Because uh, you're talking about rear inflow jets and for our viewers out there rear inflow jet is um, It's basically where the cold cold air pool. There's rear inflow in- incoming to a storm especially when you have a very strong front moving into an area um, tell us a little bit about what the drone is doing along this rear inflow jet. I mean, I know it's going into the storm, but then what does it do? What are you looking for? Are you, are you looking for certain parameters before you start an ascent or a descent? Or how does this work?
4: I have a warning question. Uh, well, yeah, basically, um, so we, we, we find the inflow jet really based off of observation and the operator indication. Um, to really be able to pinpoint where we're headed. But um, basically, we're just looking for barometric pressure, relative humidity, and temperature. Um, also, we're getting into kind of more of, and this is kind of goes along the lines with working with uh, Trevor at CSWR, um, how, they, how the aircraft reacts in the inflow jet. And if we can understand the airframe in a bunch of different type of environments, we can almost use the reverse equations on that to figure out different parameters inside the storm just based on how the aircraft is behaving in the, in the inflow. And so that's one thing that we're going to be working towards next season is really understanding the aircraft um, and how it, how it reacts and just like on a calm day versus how it reacts during a storm. And uh, much like the Hurricane Hunters do with the, with the C-130s, um, they're able to gather a lot of data or infer a lot of data just based on how the aircraft is reacting. And so we're going to have to kind of work backwards on some of these parameters to really fill in the the gaps, uh, you know, in the data. So.
2: so in other words, and I just want to kind of get it this right, where a lot of storm chasers are following the, the front of the storms, looking for supercell rotation and tornadic activity. You guys are actually kind of following behind the storm. Is that correct? You're kind of trying to follow where the, the back end, the rear flow jet, like what you were saying, you're trying to get into the backside of it with your drones, correct?
4: Yeah, we'll, we'll pretty much parallel the storm out of the, out of the southwest quadrant. Um, so, yeah, we, we typically don't get, you know, in the, in the path, but we'll, I guess, tra- yeah, you can kind of see the trail just just behind storm motion or where the storm actually is versus standing on a path, you know, waiting for the, for the bear's cage to appear and all that stuff. You know, we just kind of parallel it um, from the southwest side in hopes of uh, tapping into that um, inflow jet. And also, we've uh, looked into some of the research by Lee Orff, um, who's done some, uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen some of his simulations on uh, these high-resolution simulations for these out of these supercomputers where they actually... Give birth to tornadoes out of these, you know, computer-generated supercells, and they've noticed by dropping parcels into different parts of the supercell that there is what's called a streamwise vorticity current, or an SVC, which is a horizontal uh, strip of vorticity that is directly related to tornado genesis. And so, it's not really visible by the naked eye, but there is evidence in the computer simulations that such a thing exists, and uh, that that is in the uh, forward flank. And so, uh, that, that's another area of the supercell that we'd like to try to sample and find evidence of this uh, streamwise vorticity current. Well,
2: th- that would be interesting. You guys could do some um, some sort of like jet, like ink jetting, like you know, smoke yeah. uh, some smoke simulations out of that. Uh, what what are these drones rated top speed? What, what kind of winds can they withstand if they're retrievable? Can you fly them back? I mean, I know the batteries are limited and, and the today's drones are getting stronger. They're able to, to sort of fly against stronger and stronger winds. I know folks are doing it on the coastline and sea breezes where they're flying it against the sea breeze. Uh, but tell us a little bit about the strength and power of the drones that you use versus like what you can get on the market.
6: Um, so we do start with a, uh, just an off the shelf. It's a, this one behind me is a strict goblin. So this is something that anybody can purchase. Um, The cool thing about flying in the inflow jet, uh, you know, everybody was talking about how these things are just gonna get destroyed and they're gonna get torn apart and all that stuff. But when you're flying with the pocket of air that's like going, that's feeding the storm, like you really don't have any crazy, like crosswinds or anything that's like trying to tear it apart. Like you're kind of swimming in the river of, you know, the whole air mass that's going into the storm. So like the first time that I locked into an inflow jet with one of these things, we could tell on the video immediately because it was all of a sudden it smoothed out. All of a sudden we were doing like 80, 90, a hundred miles an hour over the ground. Um, and before I had a chance to even look at like GPS data, we were four miles from where we took off, like within minutes. Um, so it was, uh, pretty neat. So the, the Strix goblin will cruise at like 120 miles an hour with no wind. Um, so it's it's a really fast platform. Uh, it's super smooth uh, flying. We do have you know stuff like uh, all the hinges are reinforced just in case you know because we do have to take off into the wind. So you do have to fight some pretty strong headwinds just to get aloft. But then once you're up, um, you know we don't really we're not too concerned about like all the crazy you know crosswinds and stuff like that. Our biggest
4: concern is really being hit by debris, which really nothing could
6: withstand.
4: Yeah. So we're really not worried about uh, you know RFD, rear flanking downdraft or anything like that being in the area of the storm that we're in. Um, but yeah, as Brent was saying, you can have this this particular wing over, or I guess a plank is really what it's called, um, over two hundred miles an hour with not too without without too much modification. I mean, you know, they're getting ballistic these days, and so um, this is really kind of a perfect platform for us because. Once we yeah like you're saying once we get out of the headwind and we have the torque and the top speed to really just I mean punch punch into the inflow and ride it all the way home basically
6: yeah and you can see
4: uh, they were rolling some of the video of where was that storm along oh,
6: so that storm that the our first like attempt at an intercept uh, and you can see we actually turned around and came back I don't know how long the video is but. Um, Warren basically wanted us to save the wing because we were going over a lake. The only lake in Oklahoma, basically. Yeah, the only body of water that we had seen the whole trip. Of course, we are flying over it. Um, We turned around because we wanted to save it, and I immediately lost the control surface trying to fight that headwind. So we're using two elevons on the wing uh, because it's kind of a delta wing setup. And uh, you basically, if you lose one, that's 50% of your control. I mean, well, it's technically all under control because you need both to happen. But it's, you know, 50% of the control surfaces you have control over. We lost the actuator, and I had no control. So I kind of just barrel rolled into the ground uncontrollably, which was the problem with fighting a headwind like that. And I don't know what it was. It could have been, you know, 60, 70 miles an hour. But we weren't making very much progress coming back, um, and that's why we crashed, which is why we're hoping, like, this thing was such a little cross-section with such tiny – uh, control surfaces versus the uh, the torque of the motors that are controlling them. Uh, we're hoping that this one would be able to fight headwinds a little bit better. Um, but also, we have a lot better telemetry data to where we probably won't ever turn around again. We'll probably just kind of let the thing do its thing and you know try to find it later.
1: Do you guys find that you get any better efficiency? Uh, flying the rear inflow jet, like you feel like you can stretch more out of your uh, fuel, so to speak, versus flying it in any other conditions.
6: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, you can fly pretty much powered off. Because um, if you're if you're flying a little like I don't know, one pound RC plane, and you're in a 70 mile an hour column of air going straight towards a storm, uh, you don't have a whole lot of control. Uh, you know, control on any sort of fixed wing is based off of you know, the air current moving over your control surfaces and basically you mm-hmm. go opposite of that to where you can push yourself around. So if you're in the column of air and you're not going faster than it, you don't have any positive pressure over the surfaces. So mm-hmm. yeah, you can definitely just kind of glide right in. You can sort of poke, push yourself around a little bit. Um, but yeah, you could, we would, it would take us way further. Our problem wouldn't be the the battery. It would definitely be the, you know, the radio frequencies would be pretty diminished after, hopefully about 10 miles, but once there's much debris and precipitation, it would probably cut that in half. So um, after about five miles, we'd be seeing a whole lot of static on our screens.
3: I've got a real quick question as well. So drone technology is kind of a big deal, especially in emergency management and other things. And when we had our tornado, we were approached by an ASU student who was kind of traveling around the plains looking for uh, tornadoes to do debris surveys and stuff like that so I know you guys are more interested in collecting data real-time but have you guys ever considered doing damage surveys or anything like that
4: uh, we've definitely considered doing a uh, like disaster relief to where um, we, so we don't only mess with fixed-wing aircraft we also do um, the multi-copters I mean we've built Octocopters, hexacopters, quadcopters, I mean all the copters, basically, yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, just all sorts of different multi-rotors. And I don't know, we we have an interest um you know, with outfitting some of our bigger rigs, like our hexacopter that we have, with thermal imaging and being able to provide smaller communities that don't have the budget for for that type of search and rescue to maybe, you know, drive to these communities, since we'll probably be out there anyways trying to research them. Um, And if we can raise the money up front, you know, through fundraising or whatever it may be, we can actually provide a free service to these communities that have been hit and be able to help and aid in the search and rescue. Yeah, one of the technologies that hasn't really gotten any cheaper is the forward-looking infrared systems, which is what you would see, you know,
6: when you watch cops, you see people running from these helicopters and you see the white little guy run across the screen. That's a forward-looking infrared uh, and now they make them small enough to where you could fly it on a pretty manageable size quadcopter. So you could fly it over a you know debris area and you could immediately see if there's any warm bodies or anything like that. Um, if there's any fire or anything in the buildings that you can't quite see, you know you'd be able to pick that up really well. but you're talking you know maybe ten thousand dollars for a camera on the size of a GoPro.
3: Yeah, I forgot completely about the search and rescue aspect of that. That would be big because those kinds of missions take a lot of manpower. So I could see that really helping us out. Um, Just looking at the video, I already got it back from ASU. And it was so cool because that damage assessment let us see the path better. And it let us see more damage than we were able to do on foot. So I really think it's probably the next direction we're going to start going, especially because it is so expensive to get helicopters to fly over damage and do all of that. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how that's going to change in our field.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And to to tee off that a little bit more, uh, we we had some correspondence with a company through our Kickstarter called Drone Deploy, and they – they, they manufacture these little sensor packages and a software suite, actually, um, that works directly with, you know, the main line of drones, AJI, Phantoms, Inspires, or any of the, the Mavic, you know, the, the big the big boys. Um, and basically, what, what this software suite does is you can scan an area, you know, predetermine a flight path on your know, ground station. And uh, the drone will fly out and follow this flight path taking, you know, 180 pictures or so over a large area, you know, it's like acres and acres and acres. And so it'll use light. The, 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 the camera sensor uh, receives light back to it and that's how you get your picture. And so the software can actually determine features, three dimensional features and distances based off how the light is returned. And so drone has figured out how to render 3d models based on a collage of pictures. So it's a big panorama of the ground, basically, but they've been able to figure out how to make that a 3D model. So I think that's going to be huge, too, as far as damage surveys go and stuff. And you can go over a populated area um, and uh, kind of scan almost like a 3D scanner, you know, different features of, of, of damage and stuff like that. So that might unlock some mysteries.
3: Yeah, and then one last thing to add about that. I guess they had some kind of technology as well that could actually see where the vegetation was damaged. So yeah. some kind of version on the camera which you can scan vegetation so there's damage you can't see with the eye. That's fascinating. I never heard yeah. of that before, but I could see how crazy and helpful that would be.
4: Yeah, they use uh, IR, uh, infrared, and they also use LIDAR, mm-hmm. uh, you know, laser imaging, to, to determine you know how much vegetation. Uh, farmers use it a lot. Um, you know, that's kind of some of the airframes that we've used before are based on agricultural drones and they, they use a lot of that technology to determine crop health, um, based on the return of the IR frequencies and the spectrum and stuff like that. So I mean, yeah, I think that applications for this is, you know, limitless, but I really do think that it'll really help unlock some of these, uh, you know, parameters that, that aren't quite 100%
2: understood,
3: so. Definitely.
2: Well, guys, uh, we want to give you some time to talk about your website and your, your project. Uh, so, some things that um, that we talked about before the show about you wanting to uh, sort of show people what all you have on your site there, and if you want me to pull it up, I can, or if you want to do a uh, try to share your screen to talk about it.
6: Uh, Yeah, why don't you pull up? We don't have the website pulled up, but we do have some uh, flight footage and all that that we could kind of talk
4: about after we look at this.
2: Okay, so this is the uh, Sirens Project website. Yeah, it
4: might might be on the on the the blogs and stuff like that. We got we have some stuff we got to update on, but yeah, basically um, the especially under the featured projects, we're doing some pretty cool stuff. Um, We have we have a documentary coming out pretty soon. Um, and hopefully it'll turn into a, um, it's like a multi-season documentary. So one of our good friends, Zach Holman, here in Atlanta called Friendly Human. And, uh, he's been helping us out with that a lot. Um, and so we've got some really good stuff, uh, on the front there. And so we'll be able to share some of kind of what goes on behind the scenes um, and just a little bit of what we've done so far in, in more detail. Um, also, I guess one of our one of our prized possessions is the uh, the Rambo. Rambo, yeah. So the Rambo is a 1999 F350 ambulance that we purchased off a of Craigslist for four thousand <laughs> dollars. I know everyone asks how much we paid for that thing. So we spent about four thousand dollars on it, and we purchased it from a uh, hospital here close to the Atlanta metro area in Rome, Georgia, called Redmond Hospital. And uh, they were phasing out some of their fleets. And so we were really – I mean, we chased them at Xterra for a while, which has been a good vehicle. But when you have four guys and a bunch of drone gear packed in the back, I mean, it's just miserable. It's unbelievable how, like, smelly everything gets and just you can't maneuver. So we we decided we needed a bigger vehicle. And so we thought an ambulance might be a good – a good choice. And so we've done, I mean, we've done so much stuff to this thing. Um, we've done a, uh, a four wheel dry swap, we're actually in the middle of doing a four wheel dry swap. We have the axle, front axle up up under, uh, underneath, and we just gotta do the transmission now. But we gutted the whole thing, redid the interior, and so it's basically, um, it's basically uh, our mobile command center. And so yeah. all, of, all of the uh, drone, uh, you know, transmitters and receivers are on an antenna mass um, on top of the ambulance. And so we can deploy that when we get ready to uh, to fly. And that's all fed back to a monitor in the back. Um, so I mean, Brent and I, we pretty much built this whole thing in his backyard. And uh, so I, I guess I should give a little background. I, I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer by trade. So we all have daily jobs that fund this project. Um, Essentially, and so I'm a, I'm a mechanical engineer, and I work for a company here in Atlanta that builds armored trucks for you know for government contracts and, and the SWAT or whatever it may be. And so we have access to a lot of a lot of stuff to make a job like that a little bit easier. Uh, but yeah, that's probably our prized possession of the yeah. whole project right now. Yeah,
6: and I've got um I'll I'll try a screen share here, see if this works, um so I can show you. All right. Uh, so that's that. So this is um actually what it looks like. Can everybody see the screen? Um, yes, yeah, we got you. So, uh, so this is the inside of Rambo. Um, so this is our command center. We've got uh you know tools here that holds all of our drone gear and food and all that stuff. Um, and then this is our little rack of drones. This is just a test day, so this wasn't completely mission ready. But um, so this is me sitting here, and this is like the command station. So you can see um. Actually, uh, I don't know if the video's playing, but you can see on the screen it's a little blown out, but that's the live view from the drone. And, um, I know we pushed out to almost two miles uh, at one point on this flight. So we're uh, completely you know, contained in there. We have air conditioning and all that stuff, and we're getting rained on. Um, but we have a drone up in the air, and we're taking good pictures, um, which is pretty neat. It's definitely a lot more comfortable than it, um it used to be. Yeah. Let's see if I have. So this is the actual footage from that uh, from that flight. So this is one of our test platforms. I yeah, think. it's kind of a test platform. Um, but you can see we were kind of just eyeballing all this stuff over here um, and flying around, and we ended up getting some pretty cool shots of the supercell. We we're we're. These
4: wide angle lenses drive us nuts because we're pretty close to all this, but it makes us kind of look like we're far away. <laughs> so this is basically a, a test flight for Trevor as we're trying to kind of get the uh the layout of the data and everything into a into a, a format that he can easily parse through. And so we're doing this a couple of times before next season to where we can really nail down the data sets that, that they're looking for at CSWR. And uh so yeah, th- this was kind of one of those days where we just wanted to test all of our systems and actually get some data in the inflow region um, and just shoot it over to him to, to see you know, what, we, what we could do differently on our end to make his life a little bit easier next season. But yeah, uh, so that's just a little bit of that. Yeah, and you can see here, there's
6: uh, you know, a storm, we're about to be getting rained out here in a few minutes, and I believe this little dot here yeah, a- <laughs> is the Rambo. So we're flying everything from, from this little guy here. So it's, um, we definitely have a good amount of range and it's, I was going
2: to ask you what, what range, how far away can uh, the drone go?
6: Um, so we, our gear is rated to about 10 miles. Now practically, I don't know what that looks like. Uh, I don't know that it would actually work because precipitation would really soak up a lot of this RF energy. Um, all that so i don't know how 10 miles actually would play out and um i think that's probably all i've got
4: yeah we've done i mean we've done four and a half five miles without losing any video feed in in the field you know during an actual storm so and i mean and honestly that's that's probably about all we need um yeah you know it's good to have that buffer but you know i think that we're we're at a safe distance and uh, we're able to accomplish what we need to accomplish with with that kind of range and haven't had any issues thus far. So yeah, Yeah, pretty well.
0: So you guys, um, you were talking about funding. Uh, I know you're doing a lot of fundraising. Talk to us a little bit about how you guys are going about that. Um, to, to fund the project.
6: Yeah. Initially we did a, um, when this whole idea kind of was born, um, when Warren came up with this whole plan, uh, we were all, they were in college. I had just started a business. Uh, we were very poor, uh, to say the least. So oh, yeah. um, I was actually living with my parents, um, and and you guys were in little apartments or whatever you were doing. <laughs> so it was an impossible task. I, you know, scrounged up as much radio control gear as I could from uh, my dad and. Um, Just kind of some stuff that I had pieced together over the years. So it, you know, started
4: out with nothing. Yeah, we we started out hand building all these wings. Um, Yeah, we would uh, buy foam board from Home Depot, glue them together, and we would. uh, Since I was at school uh, at Southern Poly at the time, which is now Kennesaw State, an engineering program, uh, we had access to you know to CAD software, SolidWorks, more specifically, Uh, and we were able to cut out. Templates of the airfoil that we were after, and we would literally tape it to the side of the foam. And Brent built this uh, what was it called? Hot knifing a hot wire or hot wire? And so it's just like a transformer, like a guitar string with a power supply. And we were able to cut out all our, you know, foam wings that way. And so I mean, we did everything very grassroots, very. Um, yeah. in our basement kind of thing until we went to Kickstarter. Yeah, so then we had the idea to do Kickstarter
6: and that was the first inflow of cash that we had to, to actually buy professional gear. So first thing we did, we bought a bunch of GoPros, we got uh, sort of endorsed and sponsored by a company that was making us uh, at basically agricultural delta wings that were traditionally used for scanning fields. Um, and they were pretty great. Uh, they were definitely designed to be flown by autopilots so and not to be flown by Brent. Uh, so they didn't fly great uh, on their own because the whole thing about storms is we kind of can't fly off of autopilot like most of these drones would be programmed to do because the storms are moving target. Um, and so it's basically impossible to pre-program a flight path that will then, you know, develop into an intercept. So, we kind of have to fly it manually or at least kind of be able to change directions on the fly. So anyway, so we bought a whole bunch of uh, camera equipment and these drones and spent all $10,000 right away. And uh, it didn't take us nearly as far as we wanted to. And over those next two and a half years, we kind of lived off of that money. Our chase fund was just our pocket, you know, whatever we could pay for fuel. We never really got hotels. Um, we never stop driving, so when you, you can't sleep, if you're still in the car, and uh, so we did that for two years, and, and now we're twenty six and twenty seven. We all yeah. have real jobs, and uh, it's not gotten much better, but uh, <laughs> we're still scraping by. But... <laughs> but now, I mean, it's completely self funded. We haven't had any endorsements or sponsorships to to cover actual costs. Yeah. We've gotten you know some parts for Rambo donated and, and things like that, which is great. Uh, and the paint was all donated. Yeah, yeah. I guess it, like
4: um, like when I was talking about the agricultural drones earlier. The the company's called uh, Ag Eagle, and they they were always super great to us and very very thankful for how far they were able to push this project and really get us to where we're at now. And uh, companies like ACS of Georgia who donated the the material for the, the ambulance and all that stuff. And yeah, I mean it, it's really cool when you see people you know believe in something that we're trying to do um and kind of help us along the way but to yeah answer your question i mean it's all privately funded you know 95 percent of it yeah I mean, out of our own pocket yeah, privately funded is the three of us right? yeah <laughs> so, essentially so
2: well hopefully we can get you guys uh if we can ever get pdq and starbucks <laughs> and cinnabon <laughs> to, yeah. to be be you on the road you know we'll mention them tonight maybe we can get their ear and you'll have some other uh some extra funding there for your your road expenses. Yeah. <laughs> so absolutely. He, God, he's Gotti's working on that one, I think. Yeah. You know, I mean wrap the Rambo in Starbucks if we We'll, have we'll put yeah. whatever stickers
6: you want on it. Yeah, I think <laughs>
4: we we burned like 400 gallons
6: of diesel on this last year.
4: Yeah, I was $1,200 in fuel just for 7 days when I drove 4200 miles. The Rambo everybody asked me how much, you know, what the, what's the fuel economy on the Rambo. I mean it weighs 11,500 pounds and it gets about 10 and a half miles in the gallon.
2: Which I think is pretty good. That's actually pretty good for a big car yeah. like that. It's not yeah. bad. It's a di- diesel? Yes, yeah, turbo diesel, 7.3 liter. There you go. Uh, one, one more question for me. Wi-Fi, right? So you have all this equipment on board, all these computers and you're, you're monitoring radar. Um, you, you got to have a pretty strong signal in order to generate that kind of information, especially when you're going up through hills and through trees and um, you know, are you generating hotspots with your phones or how is that working?
6: Yeah, currently we're using hotspots with our phone. Last year we ran into some chasers that had, um, just some like cell boosters on their cars, some pretty, you know, inexpensive stuff that they, they seem to be having better luck, um, than we did. Uh, the last couple of chases we've had have been very flat. So if we were going to have service, we had it a, a pretty good amount of time except for Sprint. But, uh, yeah, I think Nolan had at this year and I had Verizon. So we were
4: covered. You yeah, we never I don't think we ever lost service once this year. We were yeah. out in the middle of, uh, you know, Eastern, you know, outside of Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I mean, we we're some pretty uh, rural areas and we never lost. No, we wouldn't we be probably live streaming with that kind of bandwidth, but no. we were able to at least pull up some radar pictures. Yeah. Can. We could still run radar scope and, uh, You know, get all the get all the data that we needed. Um, The good thing about the drones is we don't need our internet to retrieve our data. It's all self-contained in the telemetry and uh, our long-range system. So, but it worked out
0: pretty well. You guys were talking about chasing, and I I know we're past the nine o'clock hours, so uh, we we don't want to keep you too long. But uh, I do have one other question uh, that I wanted to ask you guys. Uh, You've been chasing now for a few years. Uh, is there any memorable days or events that's kind of stuck out to you that you're like, uh, you know, this is why we're doing this?
4: Yeah. I mean, well, I have to go back to, for me personally, I have to go back to uh, May 31st, 2013. And this is kind of before we even, this this is what birthed this whole thing. And, you know, it's a pretty well-known tornado event, the El Reno tornado, um, largest tornado ever recorded. um, But we also lost, you know, several people that day, including Tim Samaras and uh, Paul Samaras and Carl Young. And they were, they were huge inspirations to me, you know, especially on the show, storm chasers, you know, from discovery channel and stuff like that. And uh, uh, Tim was kind of, from what I understand, kind of like me in a sense where he was mechanical engineer, you know, mechanically inclined kind of, kind of guy. Um, And so, you know, they were out there researching tornadoes and, you know, it's just, uh, just kind of, it's a dangerous line of work. Um, but I think that's kind of what sparked this whole thing is, you know, I think we can do it in a way that keeps all of the people researching safe. Okay. And that's where we decided to take my passion for weather and Nolan's passion for RC aircraft and just marry the two together. Um, but, yeah, definitely the Al Reno tornado event was huge for me. The Bennington tornado event that same year was huge for me. Um, together, I guess, um, honestly, this past trip, this last season, we didn't get like any crazy tornadoes or anything. It's been kind of a down year. I've had some really photogenic tornadoes, but as far as, you know, your historical late May outbreaks, you know, just didn't happen. Um, uh, and that's kind of something that we have to deal with because we, we take off of work together way in advance, months in advance. So it's a complete gamble. Mm -hmm. If storms are going to form, you know, we do our best to pick weeks that are historically the most active. But this last trip, uh, definitely, we you know, we didn't come back with any tornado intercepts per se, but we came back with some relationships, you know, that I mentioned with the CSWR, um, you know, that I think are going to really propel this project forward. So I remember uh, the first time we actually flew
6: during a storm, um, we were in where? It's uh, so Oklahoma, yes, Medicine, Medicine Park, Oklahoma. Yeah, and uh, so we're all, you know, amped up on adrenaline, right? We finally get one of these drones in the air we have been talking about for two years, and we're flying towards uh, what looked to be a pretty formed tornado. It was coming up over this mountain ridge, and it was going towards a lake, and it kind of petered out once it got there. But, you know, it was our first, like, getting our feet wet, right? And so that was, that was great. We turned around because Warren didn't want to lose the drone, and uh, turned around and lost it in a field. And we hadn't thought all of this out. So we lost telemetry link, like our digital link to tell us where the drone was, like maybe 800 feet from
4: the, the truck. So not very far. Yeah, we didn't have a GPS lot <laughs> for some reason. And we were just all so hyped up that we didn't even like. We didn't check, we didn't do our oh, pre flight <laughs> checks
6: or anything like that. So, so we turn around, we have no idea where we are. We still have this little grainy image of the camera on our screen. So I'm trying to get back to the truck. Um, trying to navigate within four miles of just field. There's no landmarks, there's no nothing. So we're trying to get back to the truck from four miles away, I have no power, uh, and we ended up putting it in a field. So right before we crashed, Nolan had a good idea to take a camera, just a normal camera that we had in the truck, and film the screen, so the image that I was seeing. So when we crashed, we lost all connection to the drone, and we still had Nolan's uh, video camera. That was pointed at that screen, and we still yeah. framed it and found this little grove. It was like a little stream. It's like four bushes and a stick. Yeah,
4: like our <laughs> landmark.
6: Yeah, and and he was able to overlay that on Google Earth. And I kid you not, we walked right to the drone. Yeah, that's incredible.
4: And wow. it took us another forty-five minutes to find the GoPro. Yes, yeah. slingshot so,
6: yards. We
4: probably hit the ground at over hundred miles an
6: hour. So this thing is confetti all over this field. Yeah. But the Which we cleaned thing. up by the way. Yeah, yeah. But the the main portion of the wing was all intact and it was bright yellow which was on purpose so we found that right away but it was like oh we can't find the flight controller we can't find this and then we realized that the gopro that we had just bought was missing and it was um, you know obviously we found it because you guys have been playing that um that footage of, of that storm and us crashing but uh, finally, we're sitting there like, you know, down in the dumps and Warren walks over with the camera still recording and puts it in our face Like, hey, I found it. Yeah, like, and really- <laughs> we're all just like overjoyed. That was the coolest moment in storm pacing I think I've had. Yeah. Uh, and that was like in the early years, still miserable and an era. And all yeah. I
4: think we learned more in that like 45 minute ordeal than I yeah. had like the two years preparing for this. And that really, the next, the next time we went out, we were a lot. We're a lot more refined, and even this year when we went out, I mean, we just we were so much more prepared. And it's definitely a proof of concept. and something that we're trying to to push and say, hey, this is a very big proponent in the future of storm chasing and uh, and how we gathered it. It's a safe way to do it. Um, once we work all the kinks out and get a process down on how to do it, um, you know, repeatedly with the reliability, then I think I think we're really onto something big that researchers can use, you know, well mm-hmm. into the future.
0: And, and and I have a follow-up question to that, but um, while we're talking about storm chasing, Brent, uh, I know you you didn't really have the weather bug per se until you got into this. So uh, what was it like seeing a tornado for the first time for you? How, how was that adrenaline, not being the weather junkie that, that Warren is, what was it like for you the first time that you actually went storm chasing?
6: So, uh, yeah, when everybody finds out that we're storm chasing, uh, they think that, you know, you get this huge larger-than-life picture. I guess it's true life, but you get an actual, you know, you get to stand there and look at it naturally, unlike everybody who sees them on screens. And uh, I still saw it on a screen because I was in the truck looking at a screen. <laughs> so I'm a couple miles from this real tornado, but I'm inside of a truck looking at a screen with a drone and they're telling me, Oh, turn left, there's a tornado right there. Keep going left. Keep going left. So I've probably never seen one
4: naturally with my eyes. Yeah, it's unfortunate because since he's the pilot, he's the <laughs> one that's gonna fly it in. So we're all taking it in Oh man, this is incredible and he's he's pretty much watching a YouTube <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty much watching a screen where I had goggles on,
6: maybe.
0: Yeah, I yeah I had goggles
6: on first. So uh I will say the, the whole just atmosphere is is exciting and it's um it's life-changing, like do, doing these big uh, road trips with your buddies and seeing all the country out of, you know, the back of the ambulance and all that stuff, and then seeing these crazy storms develop. You know, even though I've never probably seen an actual tornado with my eyes, and I've only seen it and heard them yelling about it from outside the truck, like it's, you know, it's it's life-changing. It's, it's really neat, and I'm definitely, I've got the
0: bug now for sure. That's cool. Well, uh, I'll, I'll end this with our closing question. Um, Warren, you was talking about um, this may be the future and trying to get more people on board. Uh, on your website, uh, I know you guys have been featured by a TV station there in Atlanta. I think I saw the Weather Channel uh, yeah. has, has caught on to it. So uh, what has the reception been like for um, maybe experienced storm chasers, media outlets like the Weather Channel, things like that? What, what, is, their, uh, what is their take on what you guys are doing? Uh, I mean, at first, I think it was
4: kind of 50-50. You know, we had some people that were, I guess, I, I don't know, like, maybe threatened is not the right word, but they're just kind of skeptical, maybe, of, you know, the project and just weren't really supportive, um, kind of, you know, just, it's never going to work kind of thing. Um, and then the other half where, you know, this is awesome, I really think, uh, you know, we're on to something here, um, and I think, this, you know, this might be the future, so... It is definitely both. I think as we've gotten further into it and people have got to know us a little bit more and see the project with their own eyes. I you know we've had storm more in the field that have followed us on Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that and Instagram, um, you know, from a distance. But when they actually see, like, what we've been able to do with the ambulance in person and actually see what we're capable of doing, I think they they believe a little bit more if they were skeptical at the beginning. But, I mean, I think for the most part, especially more recent times, uh, I think we've got a lot more support, positive support uh, for what we're doing. Yeah,
6: we read, or I read somewhere that somebody thought that we were like an overfunded, like, yeah. toy riders or something, which is yeah. like, we are the most underfunded storm chasers. Yeah, we're pretty good. <laughs>
4: like, very grassroots. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it was definitely 50-50 to begin with, but I think now we're getting a little bit more positive support out of it, so. Which is good. I think I think we all we all need to collaborate in the future. I mean, I think it's something that if we distance ourselves from each other or think one idea is not good and you know, or better than somebody else's idea, or, you know, just not open to the possibility of what could be achieved, you know, I think we only hurt ourselves. And so as far as, you know, going further in the future of understanding how tornadoes form, I definitely I definitely think we need to be open to uh, you know, more creative ideas. And, and that goes for us too. I mean, we don't know if we don't have everything figured out, obviously. Obviously. So, I mean, it's uh, it's just a, it's a learning process. All
0: right. You guys, um, Ashley, Jared, Shay, James, you guys have any questions before we wrap up? All right, guys. Well, we really appreciate, it uh, been a fascinating show. A lot of great information. Uh, we will definitely put uh, your websites up and uh, some of your YouTube videos for our audience to see. Uh, but for those who are, are watching or maybe watching later on or listening to the podcast, how can, guy, how can uh, our followers follow you? I mean, where, where's the best way to get updates from you guys and to keep tabs on what you're doing?
4: So, um, you know, our website, www.thesirensproject.com, uh, which we had up earlier. Um, we're most active on Instagram and Twitter, though, and our handle is just at Sirensproject. Um, so those would be the most uh, or the easiest way to kind of engage with us. We, we love engaging with people too. I mean, uh, like send us a message, you know, like uh, rude comments, remarks, uh, positive <laughs> feedback, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. We have negative feedback. Yeah, or, negative uh, feedback. We all, you know, we just like to engage with, with other, uh, other people who are interested in the same thing we are. So um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the best way to get in contact with us.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, we will definitely keep tabs on you and We'll see how things uh, turn out next uh, chase season, and uh, maybe we can have you back on and kind of talk about what uh, what you guys experienced. Yeah, that'd be awesome.
6: We really
4: enjoy that. Yeah, we really appreciate it.
0: Yes, no problem. Thanks, guys. Uh, next week, uh, we are taking the week off for the 4th of July. In fact, this time next week, we're probably shooting fireworks off. So uh, no, uh, no Carolina weather group next week, but we'll join you back on July 11th. Uh, At 8.15 p.m. Eastern Time, we're going to be having uh, Dr. Um, Roger Edwards on from the Storm Prediction Center talking about tropical tornadoes. So uh, as we uh, enter the tropics and uh, here in the southeast and uh, throughout the Gulf Coast, always um, when tropical systems come ashore, we always have to face that tornado threat. And so we're going to be talking to uh, Mr. Edwards about that from the Storm Prediction Center. So until then, we hope you have a great rest of the week. We hope uh, you stay cool out there. And have a, a good and safe 4th of July, and we'll see you back here on July the 11th at 8.15 for the uh, next show of the Carolina Weather Group. Warren, uh, thank you. Brent, thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, we, uh, we've we enjoyed the show, and go follow these guys on uh, social media and uh, check out what they're doing. So until next time, have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here on the Carolina Weather Group.